Welcome to the VBAC Home Birth Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Winning, founder of the Motherhood Circle and creator of the Journey into Motherhood program. I'm a mother of three and have had two unplanned and unneeded C-sections and had a calm and positive vaginal home birth, free birth, with our third baby who is 4.5 kilos or 10 pounds. My own journey has sparked a deep passion to support women to find their strength and support to create the pregnancy, birth and postpartum you desire and deserve. This podcast is for women wanting to learn more about VBACs, especially home births, and professionals who want to learn more about how to support home birthing women. Inside, we're going to hear from women sharing their stories from surgical birth to achieving their vaginal home birth after cesarean, as well as expert interviews so that you have a mix of inspiring stories as well as powerful knowledge. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello again. I just wanted to personally thank you for listening to my podcast. Whether you're new here or a long-time binge listener, I'm glad you're here and investing time into planning your VBAC home birth. Before we get started with this amazing episode, I wanted to let you know that without you, my listeners, this podcast would not be here. It means the world to me when I hear from you and how you're going in your journey. And something that keeps this podcast going and reaching more listeners is when you leave reviews. I would like to ask you to jump into Apple and leave this podcast a review so that other feedback women can find us. To make a greater change for us women, we need to stick together. Please share this podcast with anyone you know it could really benefit. I also wanted to let you know that I'm now back and working one-on-one with VBAC home birthing women. So you're not allowing other people's fears and worries to cloud your judgment. So you don't feel frantic and alone in this. And so you can trust yourself and your body leading up to and in birth. If you feel like this is the sort of support you need, send me a DM on Insta or Facebook or email me at hello at themotherhoodcircle.com.au and let's chat. Hello and thank you for listening today. Today I've got Catherine on the line all the way from the UK and I forgot to ask you exactly whereabouts you are in the UK, Catherine. I'm assuming based on your accent it is in England but you'll have to let us know exactly where you are and let us know anything else you would like to share about yourself today. So a big warm welcome. Hi. Hi, my name's, my name's Catherine. Um, I live in uh, Leicestershire, um, right in the middle of England, so on the other side of the world from many of you, I'm sure. Um, I am an administrator, um, but I'm soon going back to college to start studying, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I've got two girls, um, Diane and Angela, who are two and a half and seven months old. Oh, and what are you going back to college to study? Um, I'm going to be doing what's called an access course here. So it's a course that you can take prior to returning to university um, with a view to studying midwifery. Oh, lovely. That's, I'm glad I asked that question then. That's really cool. Did your birth journeys and your motherhood experience lead you to wanting to be a midwife or was that something before you had children that you always wanted to do? No, it wasn't something I always wanted to do. It was um, very much something that 
I sort of discovered after I gave birth to Angela, um, as I'll tell later, I spent um, a lot of time preparing um, for my second birth. And once I'd given birth to Angela and during those long sessions of feeding on the couch, I really wanted to just carry on learning about birth. And um, yeah, it's it just carried on. And then eventually after watching a trailer for a documentary um, that's come out in Australia and New Zealand, but not come out here yet, um, called Birth Time, oh, um, yes. I realised that that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a difference um, if I could to help other women have much more positive experiences of birth like I had with Angela um, rather than some of the more difficult experiences that I had the first time round and yeah basically help mums where I can and I felt the best way to do that would be to train to be a midwife so I'm only just starting that journey now but really looking forward to it. Oh what a beautiful journey as well and what a wonderful um place to share your story from as well so we know that information now and then we get to hear your story and see where you let you know you're landing at the end which is really exciting so thanks for sharing that with us let's start with your first pregnancy so my pregnancy with Diane um, was very smooth um, I had no concerns at any point during my pregnancy really though except one bit really early on um around I think it was about eight weeks into the pregnancy because I found out I was pregnant quite early on um but at that point I had some cramping pains and really just was terrified in the morning when I woke up feeling what felt like period pains that I was losing my baby and um so I, I spoke to my husband's stepmother who was a midwife and she reassured me that it, it could just be implantation pain um and that it, it it might well pass quite quickly and that as long as there wasn't any bleeding um it was probably going to be fine and even if there was a bit of bleeding it, it didn't mean it sort of that I was necessarily losing the baby um but it really shook me up that day and I, I don't think I was able to go into work because I was I was terrified that something might happen um but thankfully it all settled down and from then on everything was absolutely fine um whilst I was pregnant I attended um antenatal classes with the NCT so that's the National Child Birth Trust who provide brilliant antenatal classes here in the UK um with a view to supporting both um, supporting parents um, through pregnancy and informing them a bit about childbirth and the early postpartum period and looking after newborns. I think they were mostly inspired by Grant Lee Dick Reed and his book, um, Childbirth Without Fear, um, and this concept that um, being informed about childbirth is um, one of the best protections against having more complicated births and basically just having an easier time of it and although of course not everything did go completely smoothly um with my first birth um it was a, a great deal of support and um yeah really really helped me make good decisions when I was in labor um and it helped me to know when I needed to get help afterwards that's really cool that that's available to you as well. So is that available to everybody in the UK? 
Um, yes, so there's a fee for the antenatal classes, but anybody okay. who's pregnant can sign up and they recommend various dates and locations based on when you're due and where your local antenatal teachers are based. Oh, so we didn't okay. have to travel far. Is it like an independent birthing class? Um, I think so. It, it's an organisation that's well known in the UK. Oh, um, okay. A lot of um, so the hospital trusts and um, the midwives associated with those do run classes for free. Um, but a lot, a lot of people go to the NCT because they've been running them for like 60 years now. And they're, oh, okay. they're well known for their high quality antenatal classes. And where were you? So how far along pregnant were you when you took the antenatal and where were you planning to birth and what was your idea about birth um, at this point in time as well? So going into the classes, I had very little idea about where I wanted to birth. Um, I can't remember exactly how far along. So they're done over the course of, I think it's about five or six weeks. Um, and we were all, we all definitely had bumps showing. So it was definitely in the, sort of the second half, I think around sort of maybe 24 to 30 weeks or something, because obviously some babies come early. Um, but part of the class was um, considering different options for giving birth. Um, so we learned a little bit about home birth and the local birthing centres and the midwife-led and obstetric-led um, aspects of the various local hospitals. Um, so that really helped get a sense of where we might like to give birth. Um, I knew that I'd like a home birth if possible, but we were living in a very small flat up quite a lot of stairs at that point and the lift wasn't always reliable and I knew I'd like a water birth really if at all possible and um, so I knew that wasn't really going to happen in the apartment we were living in and it wasn't always somewhere I felt very very calm or very safe um, just because of the surroundings so I um, made plans to go for the local birth centre um, because although it was a bit of a, a bit of a drive away um, a bit out of the city I knew that was probably going to be my best chance of having a water birth because of how many pools they had there um, and their statistics and there was the opportunity to visit and have a look around the birthing centre um, and it was yeah it was a lovely place and my own the, my only reservation was that it was a bit of a drive um, but I didn't think that would really be an issue in labour. That's good so you had a bit of a plan a bit of an idea about what was happening and through the system over in England you went through the public system, then going through the, the birth centre? Um, yeah, so the birth centre is actually run by the local NHS trust. So it's all part of the same system. They just, they know that some women want to give birth in hospital, but some want the home experience without necessarily being in their own homes, which was the case for me. Um, so it was it was a matter of, of sort of, a, yeah, of, of genuinely free choice. Um, but they have things set up with so that if you need to be transferred to hospital from the birth centre, if anything goes wrong, then that's available. Awesome. And what was your idea of birth? Were you frightened of birth? Had you had heard horror stories? Um, had you heard positive birth stories? What were your kind of views on birth and what did you feel was going to happen for your birth? I didn't really have much idea I mean I'd watched Call the Midwife but that's sort of often representing births that don't go smoothly because 
drama. It's, yeah, it's drama. It's <laughs> such a good show, though. I love that show. It, it, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I, I knew about my own birth, a little bit about my own birth and my sister's birth. So I knew that I'd been, um, I'd been born sort of what some would call the natural way. And my sister was born by cesarean. Um, and I knew that that didn't seem to affect us too much. It was just something we knew. Um, but and yeah, I suppose I knew that births can go very differently. Um, some women find it easier than others. And a lot of people are very keen to say, oh, sort of, yes, it hurts, but you forget the pain very quickly because there's a baby in your arms. Um, so I suppose that was one of the key things that sort of stuck in my mind when things seemed to be getting a bit difficult. But I found that wasn't sort of, it wasn't that simple in my case. Yeah, so basically you had a smooth sailing pregnancy you what kind of care did you have while you were pregnant with the were you in with midwives did you have to see an obstetrician how was that um care and leading up to your birth and that sort of thing and what sort of conversations did you have leading up to your birth with your care team so in the uk um the vast majority of women as i understand it are under the care of midwives unless there's some sort of risk factor identified, um, whether that's because of a difficult previous birth um, or sort of any other factors really, but um, none of them really seem to be um, an issue for me. So I remained under midwife care sort of the whole way through and well into my labor. Um, so once I found out I was pregnant, um, the next day I booked, I sort of registered the fact that I was pregnant with my GP so that gets you on the system for midwife appointments and then they're quite spread out at first um just sort of general general checkup see how you're doing um they book you in for your ultrasound scans um so i think that's normally about sort of 13 weeks and about 20 weeks um so you didn't I had, have a dating scan or anything like that then um so i think that's normally about 13 weeks okay um and do you go to the hospital when you have your appointments with the midwives no so um our midwife appointments um my midwife appointments at least were at my gp surgery so they would i think normally friday morning or something and i tended to get roughly the same time each time i went um but yeah so they'd be every maybe five or six weeks at the start and then they would get a lot closer towards the end so by the time you're coming towards the end of your pregnancy um you're generally having them about every two weeks um and they have a list of topics to talk about um each time um mm. so towards the end they're talking more about sort of your birth plan and at start they're um maybe giving um sort of what the recommendations are with regards to Sort of eating and exercise and um, what to do if sort of you have any any pains or difficulties or any concerns or anything like that interesting and it's awesome that you didn't have to go to the hospital because here in Australia unless you hire a midwife and that means you have to pay for them um, if you go through the public health system here you most of the time have to go to the hospital for your appointments um, you can have GP shared care, 
but it would be, you know, a couple of appointments and then you might have to go to the hospital, but it's always kind of done in the hospital. So that's really cool that you didn't have to go to the hospital. Yeah, so I only had to go to hospital for my ultrasound scans, um, for having any bloods taken, for my anti-D shot, which is because I'm rhesus negative, and um, for my flu jab, which actually they did at the same time as one of my blood tests, I think. So, yeah, I think those were the only times where where I had to go into hospital. Cool. So let's hear about your birth. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> so the first sign I had that anything was happening with regards to giving birth was when my waters went with a bit of a bang at um, 38 um, plus four. Um, so they went about three or four o'clock in the morning. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it was sort of, oh, OK, right. I think things are kicking off and, and the contractions started right about then anyway um and sort of they 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 i thought they were strong at the time um but given the scheme of things i later learned that they actually weren't that strong um but i was i was pretty sensitive um to them so we went to the um we rang up the birth center and they said yep come in and we'll we'll check that that is the case and um yeah basically see how far along you are and everything so jumped in the car, long drive, timing contractions and everything because I wanted to be really on top of everything and got there and they said, yep, that's definitely amniotic fluid, um, but you're only like half a centimetre dilated. Um, Things are only just beginning. We recommend you go home and and get some rest and sort of maybe come back when things start ramping up a bit. Um, So we ended up going back and forth a couple of times over the course of the day. Um, at one point we actually, um, cause my mum was my other birth partner alongside my husband. Um, so she came down with my dad and we actually went to a restaurant cause it was lunchtime and <laughs> we were all hungry. And so I was yeah sitting in a restaurant very much trying to conceal the fact that I was in the early stages of labor. So that was quite yeah, was a bit fun. fun. <laughs> Had to end up telling one of the waitresses just because she kept looking over at us quite worried, which was quite sweet of her. Um, mm-hmm. But eventually we went over to the birth centre again because I thought things were picking up and they um, they did a vaginal examination and found out I wasn't quite far enough along to be admitted and so I still wasn't in in sort of the stage of labour where they sort of ideally wanted me to be. So they said that we really recommend you just go home and, and, and get some rest. And if things haven't sort of got to a certain point by, I think it was midnight, then they recommended me go to the hospital because it was sort of going to be getting on for 24 hours since my water broke. Um, and I understood um, their reasoning, but I just felt quite deflated really at the time and so jumped in the car for 40 minutes back home and I didn't have a single contraction whilst I was on the journey home and I was really just worried that everything had just stopped my body had given up and that sort of my chance was gone um so yeah went home we all tried to get our heads down for some rest and it was about another four hours until I started having contractions again 
Um, but when we rang the hospital um, or rang the trust, um, they said, um, yeah, just come into the hospital um, at midnight as sort of the birth centre previously recommended because it still didn't sound like I was sort of far enough along. Um, and things, yeah, just felt to be moving pretty slowly. And then, um, and then we went to the hospital at midnight and went upstairs to the midwife-led unit. When um, you say mid- midnight, do you mean that midnight or do you mean the following midnight? So my waters had gone at four o'clock in the morning. Yes. And it was, yeah, now midnight, um, so 20 hours later. Yeah, and you had the conversation with the um, the where you, the birth center, and they had said, "Call us." What did they say? They said, "Call the hospital." Uh, yes. Okay. Um, because it, it was, I think it was just because it was it was taking taking a while, and I think the journey the hospital was actually a lot closer to us, so maybe it was the journey to and from the birth center. So, yeah wasn't helping me really yeah Um, I didn't really understand at the time that all that traveling was Mm. sort of a bit of an intervention in itself um so yeah we went along to the hospital at midnight and they directed me to the midwife-led unit um and I think I remember one of the first things I said was am I far enough along are you gonna send me home again and they said no you're you're here now we're gonna sort of we're going to keep you here we're going to look look after you um because I suppose I didn't want to I, I hadn't been rejected by the birth center but it sort of it felt a bit like that at the time um just because I was nervous and I was worried and I thought things would go a lot quicker than they were going um and, and sometimes you kind of just want to be rescued as a first-time mum or when you don't know any different I remember with when I went into labor for the first time and I kept ringing the hospital and they said to me, you'll be fine. Just call us back. It doesn't sound like, you know, call us back. And I was like, call them back. I'm going now. (laughs) (laughs) You're just like, because it's like a first experience. You don't know what's happening. And sometimes you just want to, you know, just it's like final if you go into the hospital or you're with your care team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I went into the hospital was in the midwife led unit and was laboring well there um so I made good use of the birthing ball so I'd sort of perch on the edge of the bed that they had and then when I felt a contraction coming through I'd sort of lean forward onto the birthing ball and hold mum holding one hand and my husband holding the other and I'd sort of ride it out and then be like okay right it's over and then I'd sit back on the bed and carry on chatting and sort of that carried on that carried on for a while um and then at one point when I was um sitting on the bed I felt a bit more of my waters come away which was a bit of a surprise because I obviously thought like the whole thing had gone um but um so I, I mentioned that um my mum actually happened to have a look because she was right there with me at the time because we were talking and my mum um, told me and by extension the midwife that there was meconium in my waters which I knew from my antenatal class that that meant things were probably not going to be so simple from here on out because it meant that there would at least be concerns that Diane was um, was in some sort of distress 
or that she, or she wasn't wasn't happy really um so then they um put ctg straps on me and which kept slipping down was one of the things that i happened to remember um because they're sort of on elastic i suppose um and the shape of my tummy meant they kept slipping and sort of losing the trace um and i was moved over to the consultant led unit i think around that time um and when i got there um i started using gas and air because i just i think the phrase i used at the time was it, it felt like a bit of a biting sort of sensation the pain was getting a bit sharper and i was quite tired and i knew that that was sort of a low level sort of pain relief that, that might help um what i didn't expect was for it to uh, sort of the effect it had on me at that time was that it felt like time was really really slowing down probably because i was measuring time in my head sort of unconsciously by the time between contractions and um, so obviously when that was picking up i was having more contractions i thought time was going faster if that sort of makes sense and i was really really tired at that point and the entonox or the gas and air um made me feel a bit woozy a bit dizzy as it does but it was also making me feel a bit nauseous and i was i'd take a puff of the gas and air and i'd start dropping off to sleep because i was so tired and um yeah and then i would sort of be woken up by the next pain coming through and would sort of quickly try and take a gasp of the internox and at some sort of and then i'd start dozing off and i basically just almost started breathing pure internox um and i had to keep being reminded to sort of take it out of my mouth and eventually sort of every so often i wouldn't take a, a breath sort of of the internox because i wanted to take breath of fresh air but then the pain was just so much and i was actually starting to get a bit frustrated um then things started going a bit further down <laughs> really did i lose you no sorry my memory's coming back a bit like that's all right um so then the concern started mounting a bit further um because I was obviously everything seemed a bit starting to seem a bit foggy really and at some point my mum asked um my mum put her head her hand on my head um because I think she, oh, she was a bit worried about me she's my mum um so and she said to the midwife um can you take her temperature I worry she's getting a bit hot and they said well it, it's normal for them to get a bit hot they're doing sort of a lot of hard work and everything and mum said yeah but I think she's really quite hot um and they took my temperature it started going your zone um I think it was about 38.4 so yeah really not ideal um I'd been going to the toilet quite frequently I was at some point I actually brought up what I described at the time as luminous green bile um which again wasn't good then I was sort of losing the ability to focus and it sort of became quite clear that more people were coming in and out of the room um I kept saying I don't feel very well um 
uh, I'm, I'm shaking, um, which again, they sort of said, well, that, that can, can be normal because of the adrenaline. And I'm like, oh, I'm in labor. It's sort of, adrenaline's not good. I need oxytocin. So I'm just sort of trying to rely on things that I'd, I'd learned in the antenatal classes. Not so much because I didn't trust what the midwives were saying, but I was, I suppose, just trying to rationalize what was, what was going on. Um, so I'm at some point during that, I asked for an epidural, which I'd never imagined before because I've got a thing about needles. I really don't like needles. Um, and the idea of one in my spine was not great, but I knew it was going to probably be the only thing that would relieve the pain enough um, at that time. Uh, I remember being really annoyed that I had to keep my chin on my chest for, and sort of lean forward for 20 minutes while they got it in properly and it started going um, um but yeah at, at some point they said um, um yeah i remember various people coming in the room and introducing themselves and saying at some point that they were going to have to do an emergency cesarean because i wasn't well um and every so often someone would sort of come back in my view and i'd be like oh you, you're such and such and sort of try and remember their name and maybe even their job I, I couldn't really focus on what they were telling me that they were going to do and um, at some point later I actually saw the signature that I put down on the form when I signed off to say that I was going to have a cesarean um, and it kind of just droops massively off the line which um, just reminded me um, when I saw it later that I, I wasn't in a particularly good <laughs> particularly good place at that time um but yeah at some point I remember just crying out sort of just knock me out and take her out of me because it was it was hurting so much and I couldn't make sense of what was going on and at some point as were you the, sorry I just wanted to ask when this is all happening how were you feeling inside yourself Did um you feel ill were you feeling any like uh, you know when you were you feeling any aches or pains out, outside of obviously um, it's hard when you're going through labour for the first time and you don't know what's normal and what's normal, do you? Yeah, so that, that was the key thing for me. I, I didn't know what was normal. Um, I just knew that in amongst all sort of the, the contractions and sort of a bit of pain in my lower back, which sort of made sense to me to be associated with with the fact that I was in labor it was the fact that I felt physically sick I felt nauseous I felt dizzy and wobbly and I was shaking and it was all of that stuff it's like I feel like I'm ill almost like I've got the flu on top of being in labor and that really unsettled me because whenever I thought about giving birth and everything you generally think about doing it whilst being cogent and in good health and, and everything and I was sort of realizing that that wasn't where I was sort of I, I was feeling very ill and at some point um whilst I had the epidural in my back um I actually tried sitting up and in my brain I just I, I wanted to just get up and walk away from the situation because I felt stressed I felt out of control I didn't really understand what was happening not because people weren't helping but because I sort of didn't have the capacity at that point to understand really what was happening so of course when I did that everybody else just saw it as me just lurching forward um but yeah there was a definite sense of sort of just 
being uncomfortable, being scared, just really feeling ill. I'm not very good when I'm ill anyway. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but then I had, at some point, I remember some, someone saying I was going to have an emergency cesarean and they were going to prep me for theatre. Um, someone, I think, the way I remember me questions like have you got any fillings and whatever which I assume now was the anaesthetist or whatever um but I just remember looking at my mum saying I, I don't understand sort of can you answer these questions for me um and then actually I don't remember anymore until I woke up in theatre um I wasn't put under a general um I'm not I'm not quite sure whether I passed out or whether I fell asleep but I don't remember anything more beyond that until I woke up in theatre and sort of opened my eyes and there was a blue sheet in front of me and then somebody um lifted Diane sort of high enough for me to be able to see her um and I don't think I felt any pain at that moment um I just remember sort of I lo looked over and, and saw my mum off to one side right sort of near my head sort of holding my hand um and sort of people asking me sort of, well, sort of it's a girl which I already knew and um, do you have a name for her so I remember telling my mum that her name was Diane um and I remember asking um are we in danger sort of are we um are we poorly because the one thing that I had on my mind other than seeing my baby and telling people her name um was I wanted to know whether um, whether my baby needed to be baptised and whether I needed the last rites, basically. Um, that was the only thing that was on my mind at the time. It was a time. really, really scary situation for you to be in. Yeah. From the sound of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then sort of they brought her over to me and I was able to hold her and everybody reassured me that we were just fine um that um uh, i don't know quite when they told me but basically this has all happened because i had an internal infection and um suspected sepsis so they'd sort of put me on on the um the pathway because i had suspected sepsis so that's a sepsis pathway of what to do with people showing showing signs of, of possibly having sepsis so i don't know whether i whether i did um but it meant that Diane and I were in um, hospital for a full week after I gave birth, um, sort of, so we could both be on antibiotics and such. Um, yeah. Did they? Did did they ever? They obviously found an infection in your blood later on, and the temperature of of how you were obviously showed that you were, you know, you had a mild kind of fever starting. Did your temperature go up at all? And did they find, like, did they um, let you know if you did have a sepsis or were they um, able to get that info? I don't, I don't know, actually, whether the sepsis was ever confirmed, but I do know that I had, I think it was, it's called chorioamnionitis. Um, so basically, as far as I understand it, it's, an, it's sort of an infection of sort of the layers inside the body, so probably sort of around where Diane was which um yeah it's a bit scary really um but 
uh, I've done a bit of reading afterwards and it doesn't seem to be particularly common sort of whilst in active labour it tends to either be something that happens during pregnancy so then they have to try and deliver the baby or whatever um, or it happens afterwards but I haven't found much out about it happening during during labour itself. And they actually told you that that's what you had? Yeah, so um, I don't, I don't I, it was definitely in my notes at some point that I found mm-hmm. out. Um, I did a birth reflection session a few months after um, we'd come out of hospital. So that's something. I, I want to play, Mum. <laughs> Let's see if she wants another feed. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we were in hospital for a full week. Um, Diane had a cannula in the back of her hand so they could administer the, the antibiotics. Um, I had one in me initially because they'd put a drip in um, during while I was in labour. So they were going in, um, going in that way, but that got taken out at some point during the week and I was taking the antibiotics orally. Um, Obviously, I, I, I couldn't really move for the first couple of days after the C-section, um, partly at, at first because um, I think sort of with the epidural wearing off um, and um, whenever I sort of, when once they took the, the catheter out, um, obviously I had to get up <laughs> to go to the loo and I was bent double, basically trying to move around anywhere um, um but I remember on one of the first nights my mum um who was still around sort of helping out um, um my mum sort of helped me have a bath get the big pad off my scar and and stuff like that and um I quickly started I wanted to focus on positive things. So um, my husband and I announced the birth on social media and some people obviously wanted to come and see her. Um, so we used um, all the available visiting hours slots that were available. Sometimes sort of people tagged me in because you were only allowed so many people in. Um, but at a time where, after a time where I'd felt really scared and nervous, um, I, I wanted to have people in. I know they were sort of restrict visiting hours um, because they don't want you being sort of overwhelmed with people. But I found I wanted people around me sort of because I, I wanted to see them. I suppose I wanted to know I was loved. I wanted to rejoice in um, in Diane's birth and sort of get as many people as possible to share her. Um, I've got particularly fond memories of my dad um, meeting Diane for the first time. Um, and I was yeah trying not to focus on the fact that I was sitting in bed, not wanting to move because it was just really uncomfortable. Um, but it also meant that other people were around to like change her nappies and, and give her a cuddle and whatnot. I mean, I liked giving her cuddles, but it, it was a bit it was a bit difficult. Um, was she with you in the hospital at that point in time, or was she kept in a special care unit? No, so she was with me the whole time. Um, there was uh, so it was uh, I think it was like six in the morning and six in the evening each day she had to be taken down to I think it was the NNU the neonatal unit um, 
it was somewhere downstairs uh, for her to have her antibiotics and such. Um, and initially my husband would take her down for those um, sort of appointments, I suppose. Um, but towards the end of the week, when we sort of worked out a schedule of, he would go home in the afternoon to get some proper rest because, um, sorry, for birth partners, there's um, a chair, a fairly comfy chair next to the bed where they can stay during the night. Um, but it's not as good as actually like having a bed that you can lie down in. Um, so then during sort of about halfway through the week, I started taking uh, Diane um, down to the NNU. Um, one of the first times I went, I actually had to sort of ask for a chair to sit down because I was suddenly in a room with a lot of babies that were a lot poorlier than Diane was. Um, so the doctor or one of the nurses, I can't quite remember, would would come over and would give her her antibiotics and then I'd take her back upstairs. Um, at one point, I think one of the doctors wanted to test her bilirubin levels because they were worried that she might um, have jaundice, but that was all fine. Um, and yeah, generally things went quite smoothly at the hospital. Um, at one point, I think it was on her penultimate um, dose of antibiotics, the cannula leaked. So she had to have it taken out and a new one put in the other hand, um, which obviously she wasn't very happy about to say the least. Um, but it was something I could do was to be there with her when that happened. You know, Pretty bear to watch. Um, and at some point, the um, ward that I was staying on started moving over from um, women who had recently given birth to women who were soon to give birth. Because um, obviously I just stayed in, in the same little bed on, on the ward for the whole week. Um, but once once we were getting into like day six or seven on the ward and I was able to walk around a lot more confidently and sometimes like there'd be the woman in the bed next to me have her curtains drawn and she was clearly in labor so I think she I don't know whether she'd had a uh, um a, a pessary or something like that um but she was clearly in labor and I started feeling a lot less sort of stable again I was um, having a lot more memories of being in labor myself and it was starting to scare me a bit but um, I spoke to one of the midwives about that um, and I, I also spoke to um, a counsellor while I was there because I knew um, um, I knew that sort of that had been it had been a really difficult experience and that my mental health might well be affected but in in sort of looking back I think it was a bit too early to really start seeing any effects of that until um sort of I suppose the early warning signs were these oh, I suppose flashbacks that I was getting when I could hear somebody else in labor um but yeah I, I felt really supported having lots of other people visiting um Thankfully, one of the local priests was able to come and give me um, communion, which was something that was really important to me, um, and just sort of see how I was getting on. I also got to speak to one of the lay chaplains, um, so I felt very well supported um, and was trying not to focus on the fact that I felt a bit trapped 
um, at the hospital, but I knew it was for a good reason because that's where Diane and I needed, um, we're getting the care that we needed really. And yeah, it was a brilliant moment where I was um, finally able to, yeah, leave the hospital with her on a very cold January morning. Well, that's lovely. And you went home and how did you, did you um, plan to breastfeed or were you breastfeeding or how, yes, and, so, and how did that um, journey go in your postpartum healing? Um, so the breastfeeding journey was, <laughs> the breastfeeding journey was, um, was pretty smooth. I um, obviously couldn't move very well in those early days in the hospital but one thing I could do was feed her if somebody brought her to me um and it was a bit uncomfortable but that didn't really sort of surprise me um yeah I, I was pretty well supported um we actually went to stay with my parents for about a month after um after Diane was born um so we were well looked after there and I had sort of the opportunity to breastfeed. Um, I, I took her to a couple of um, sort of mom and baby groups and there was a bit of breastfeeding support there. Um, and then again, when we moved into our new house um, here in Leicestershire, when we came back, came back here. Um, so I got support from the NCT, local NCT peer supporter, Lucy, who was absolutely lovely. I got to see her every Tuesday um one Tuesday a month um and get her support and I was also supported um by my local breastfeeding support team um who are all um trained peer supporters um yeah there was a bit of discomfort for a while because um I was getting a few blisters um, but I knew I wanted to carry on breastfeeding, even though it was really uncomfortable. But once I finally admitted sort of, I needed help and got my latch checked and everything, we soon got that sorted and, and cleared up. So, yeah, it went pretty smoothly and we carried on, carried on our breastfeeding journey for 18 months, actually. Yeah, well done. And so you carried on for 18 months and then you fell pregnant when your baby was how many months was your baby and were you planning this pregnancy um so I can't remember how, uh, so it would have been I think Diane would have been about 15 months mm -hmm. when um, yes when I got pregnant with Angela about that um and we don't really plan our babies it's just sort of we're open to them when they want to come along really oh. um so yeah that was it was a, a joy a little bit of a surprise but a joy um when I found out I was pregnant with Angela um and but I'd been sort of doing a lot of work to sort of try and to try and heal after Diane's birth um, but I knew that that might not sort of fully be complete maybe until I could fully trust my body again which I felt would most likely happen if I was able to have another baby in 
a way that wasn't traumatic. I wasn't going to be too picky about how that happened, but as long as it wasn't traumatic, um, yeah, I think that was how I um, how I have full faith in in my body's capabilities. Again. So, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do when you felt found out you were pregnant at that point in time? Through some of the healing that you'd done, did you have an idea of what you were going to do if you wanted to have a less traumatic birth? What were your ideas around um, that? I, I suppose I wanted to have the birth that I had sort of dreamt of with Diane, but hadn't really been able to have. So, um, um, so a home birth, ideally with a birthing pool involved. Um, I, I knew I wanted to basically not be in the hospital if possible, because I, I was worried about sort of interventions and such again. Um, so you're thinking about home birth, back to your dream birth idea. And you also mentioned that you'd had some um, childbirth trauma from the last time, but you'd done some healing. How did you kind of get to the idea of saying yes to a home birth? And also, how did you work through any of the trauma and the fears to say yes to that home birth, dream birth? So um, one of the things that I had done before I found out I was pregnant with Angela was have um, some counselling that um, was actually freely available through my job. And so I talked through that uh, talked through the birth a lot um i also had a what's called a birth reflection session which was um, again freely available through the nhs trust where you meet with an experienced midwife who has read through your all your notes that are available um, and they basically answer any questions you have which for me was establishing a timeline of what happened when because i didn't have enough memories in my head for the 15 hours 15 16 hours that I was in hospital before Diane actually came out um, oh that's so that probably was, what we call a birth um what do we call it a birth debrief yeah what we call it. Yeah. yeah that sort of thing Awesome. I think I, I prefer the term reflections. I, I think. do too. I think that's, that's quite sounds, nice. Yeah, I think that's a really nice term. Well. It, wasn't, it wasn't just the midwife saying, oh, this is what happened. It was a conversation it, between me and Diane happened to be in the room. So she made her own little contributions. Um, the midwife, with regards to my notes, um, my husband and my mum came along for that so as she ran through the facts and figures as it were of what happened and I was able to follow the CTG graphs so I could see what had happened when and follow all the times of it um sort of every so often one of us would interject saying oh yeah I remember that happening because you said that and, then, and this happened and and things like that so it was a bit obviously it was very a very emotional experience but it was It was a very emotional experience, but it was it was nice to be able to sort of to share it amongst those of us who'd who'd been there together and had had gone through it together. Absolutely. So you'd gone through some healing, you had your birth debrief slash reflection, which obviously was it sounded like a positive experience for you. 
Yeah. And then yeah. what were your next steps for deciding uh, on a home birth? Um, so the next step was really to educate myself, to look at what the options were. I knew that now we were in our own house and um, that we, I, I could visualize having a birthing pool in the dining room. Um, but I knew that because of the difficult birth I'd had with Diane, that a home birth might not be possible because I might not be considered low risk. So mothers are generally split up into low risk and high risk. Um, and I knew that I'd had um, a PPH, a postpartum hemorrhage, um, and that I'd had an infection, that I'd had a cesarean, and that any of these things might be a reason that not necessarily that I'd just be flat out told no but that sort of they might recommend against me having a home birth um but once I had my I had my first um, midwife appointment at the GP as as it's standard um and but of course we were into COVID at this point the COVID era um so when I turned up at the GP surgery and said, oh, I'm here for my midwife appointment and they directed me through to the midwife, one of the first things the midwife said was, oh, I was expecting to speak to you on the phone um, rather than in person, but we carried on with the appointment anyway and we did all the booking in stuff and um, sort of she arranged for me to have my bloods taken and such. Um, but yeah, it was during one of those first appointments that I said could I be um, put under the care of the home birth team because I'd done a bit of reading reading online and knew that sort of I wanted that option if it was possibly available to me and then that was one of the best ways of starting the conversation um, so she said yeah that's absolutely fine um, you'll get a call from them in a bit to, to basically talk you through their processes and um, is that like a normalized uh, option over there in the UK or in England um, at least? Yeah, so um, I think one of the most recent statistics from the home birth team that um, cared for me during my labour with Angela was that 2.7% of the trusts' um, births were home births um, and done by that one, one home birth team. Um, so it's not, it's not particularly common, um, but it is a, an option that the trust presents to um, mothers and, and birthing people um, as much as the hospital or the birthing centre. Um, That's great, some, isn't it? That it's I think an some women, yeah, some women mm. I think might choose the care of an independent midwife, but it's not something I've, I've come across. Um, the NHS, as you probably know, is very well respected here and we, we have lots of choices available to us. Yes, because here in Australia, the majority of the time what happens is you go to the GP and they say, okay, so I'll send you to this hospital because that's the catchment that you're in and there's no discussion on birth centres or home births. And if you talk to a GP about a home birth, like, oh, my goodness, home birth, like, I wouldn't recommend that. So it's completely different over there where you are, where, um, you know, it's it's offered as an option which is outstanding compared to here in Australia 
And I yeah, was actually I, I... born in England and my, my father was born <laughs> via home birth in England. And I've oh, always wow. felt like ripped off. <laughs> I'm like, if I was just living in England still, <laughs> it'd be free and I'd be able to get it. And I think, I think even if you are deemed high risk, um, it's still an option there, isn't it? Um, yes. So that was one of the things that I, I had to talk to the home birth team at length with. Um, they're one of the main principles um, or the sense that I got from them was it's your choice. We will inform you of sort of possible risks. We will give you our recommendations, but at the end of the day, it is your choice. And using us for wanting a home birth, but we will put some, I suppose, boundaries really in place that um, if during the home birth, um, your blood pressure goes up, to a certain point or um there are concerns that your baby may be in distress and that you need medical attention um then we will phone an ambulance basically and highly recommend that you get in it and if you do decide to get in it we will go with you and sort of um it, it was it was yeah it was very very good and we, we had we basically created a, a plan between us and I signed some forms with all these sort of contingency plans um and I actually when I when I did my birth plan for Angela um my, my labor with Angela I actually mapped out sort of my preferences for a home birth for a water birth um but also for a cesarean in case it came to that at hospital um which thankfully it didn't um and that was all checked over by one of the home birth midwives. And yeah, they were happy with that. We were all on the same page. And that gave me a lot of confidence to, to go ahead um, with the home birth. And they're always also very keen on um, continuity of care where possible. That seems to be the model that a lot of um, midwives are aiming for these days. So the idea is that you will see the same midwife as much as possible or a couple of midwives as much as possible and the idea is that if when you go into labor um you hopefully will have one of those midwives help to take care of you um that didn't actually happen in my case the midwives that i knew happened uh, i knew happened to not be on shift um but that was fine because i knew that there was all the midwives I had met, there was a consistency of approach among them. So I knew that they all had the same values. They were all going to have the same approach. They all um, had all the information that I'd provided available to them. Um, and so when I went into labor with Angela, I was, I was confident. I was excited. Um, I knew that I was probably in for, in for, a, a long labour like I'd had with Diane, but hopefully it was going to be a lot more positive. And what did you um, talk about with your midwives in regards to the septus situation or infection possibly happening? Did they give you some pointers or recommend something for you to do um, in your pregnancy to, to avoid an infection or anything like that this time? Was that something that you were worried about or...? I mean, it was something, it was something I was worried about. Um, 
but I was aware that um, the fact that my waters went um, sort of early on, I suppose you could say, um, that the risk of infection is higher, as far as I understood it, once the waters that waters had broken. Um, so I knew that if possible, I wanted things to happen pretty quickly after my waters went. Um, but as long as I was in an environment where I felt safe, sort of in control, cared for, um, and I'd done as much preparation as I could, both in terms of the space, um, my own sort of mental health. Um, yeah, so the, la the labour started um, gradually at this time. Um, so it was at uh, 41 weeks. So I'd already started getting a little bit nervous of were things going to happen? Um, there were obviously the mad moments of sort of, is my body a bit broken from last time? Is it, is it going to know to go into labour and stuff? But it was it was all absolutely fine. Um, I'd had uh, great support from my midwives. Um, so they'd um, once you get to a certain point, I think it's 40 weeks or whatever, they say, right, we're going to schedule you in for an induction just in case sort of things don't sort of kick off because obviously I think there's um, slightly higher risks um, sort of if you start getting towards like 42 weeks um, but thankfully everything sort of kicked off at, at pretty much dead on 41 weeks um, there'd actually um, been a book I'd been waiting on um, which was a book of poetry about pregnancy and birth um, which had come all the way from Australia um, it's by an author and actor called Anna Magan. It's her new book, Skin, a book of blessings. Um, and I'd always wondered whether it was going to arrive in time for me to give birth. Um, and it actually arrived in the mail all the way from Australia. And I unwrapped it and put it in my hands and my contraction started. I kid you not. It was absolutely wow. perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So that felt like a bit of a sort of a special connection. So obviously the oxytocin was starting to flow. Um, so I actually um, read a couple of the poems that Anna had written about those last couple of weeks of pregnancy and being in labour and and things like that. And it was it was absolutely wonderful. It was all like quite low level at start um, at the start, but. Yeah, it was lovely to sort of have that feeling of sort of getting going again. But I knew I wasn't going to get too excited about it because, again, I could be in in this way for like 36 hours like I was with Diane. Um, but I felt calm. I felt confident. I, I was ready to sort of go into battle. To be honest, I, I felt I'd been sort of not quite battled, but I, I, I felt ready and confident and ready to sort of walk into this sort of power flowing through me I suppose um but I'd been ready for all that since about 36 37 weeks just in case because of course Diane had been born at 38 plus five or six or something like that so I wanted to be ready early um yeah and were you were you like surprised that you didn't go into labor as soon this time um no not really because I know that these things aren't consistent um I've been part of uh uh 
Catholic Mums Due Date group on Facebook um, ever since I sort of pretty much found out I was pregnant with Diane. It's a wonderfully supportive group of, of mums. Um, but quite often we'll sort of have a chat about sort of due dates and sort of can previous ones predict um, later ones and the major consensus from everybody's anecdotal data seem to be no. It doesn't matter if you went into labour at 36 weeks with one, the next one could be 42, the next one could be sort of 39. It, it doesn't seem to follow any particular sort of pattern. So I was just, I was ready. Yeah. Uh, that was the only and, thing, really. And when they were talking about um, induction, did they tell you at what point, like how many weeks did you have to be? And was it a conversation as in, something that you agreed to or was it just something that they decided for you um I don't think there's really anything in sort of the approach of the, yeah. the home birth team midwives that was we're deciding this for you it was very much a case of sort of this is the data these are the reasons um that women um might want to have inductions um, these can be some of the risks I think I, um I just I remember it was sort of I mean it was get, it was the point where it was it felt like it was getting quite late anyway I knew I'd gone beyond 40 weeks and I knew it was it was a backup plan and to be honest if it went on for much longer I was I, I wanted to sort of have a little help along really and induction um, would have meant that you would have to have had a hospital birth though right um not necessarily was my understanding um you could go in and um get the I think it's a pessary or a gel or something like that and sort of see what happened um but I wasn't too bothered about that fact at the time I it was um a case of sort of yeah okay yeah we'll book that in but we won't need it my body knows what to do I feel happy and and safe here and it, I think it's just a matter of of days before sort of she wants to make her wants to make her arrival and if she, if she doesn't yeah. then we'll look at options when we get to that point and thankfully it wasn't you're really what we needed you're really optimistic that baby will be born before you had to kind of worry about that sort of thing I guess yeah yeah and yeah. the midwife shared the same thing she's like sort of okay well this is something sort of we recommend and it's something I'll book in as a just in case but we won't need it will we I'm like that ah, yeah. no we won't well, need it it's, it's just a here, in a, here in Australia it's actually quite a stressful thing um for women because once you get to a certain point um if you're talking about induction that means a hospital birth so that home birth's basically gone from like you won't be able to turn back from that point once you go through that process you'll be in hospital until pretty much until you deliver your baby um yeah. so I just wanted to see if that was the same but you I guess you hadn't had that conversation so you you weren't really too sure yeah. what that process would have been but how many weeks did they did they say that you would need to be booked in for that then um I'm not really sure I think it was uh, it's sort of maybe about halfway through sort of 41 plus 3 41 plus 2 I, I, I don't really know you it was something I was just gonna take it take in my stride um yes so you would just made it by a couple of days 
yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't too too worried about it really. Yeah, <laughs> add that in because I know that that's a really sh- a big stressor for women here in Australia, especially. Um, so it was interesting to hear, you know, the narrative and what happens over there in the UK. Yeah. So you went into labour and you started having contractions, but you were feeling like you could, you know, you weren't putting too much pressure on yourself because you knew you could be in for a long one. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I, I I rung up the home birth team and basically said, look, things have kicked off. Hopefully I'll sort of be calling you, needing you within the next sort of 24, 48 hours, that sort of thing. My waters haven't gone yet. Just just giving them a calm update on the situation and just letting them know that yeah, hopefully I'd need them at some point soon. And they were basically just like, yep, yeah, thanks for the update. We'll make a note and sort of keep you on our radar and sort of just, yeah, see how you get on. Um, yeah, and sort of I had my birth space pretty much already because um, it was not that far beyond Christmas at that point. Um, so we, we left, well, not we'd take them down that early anyway, but we still had the Christmas decorations up. So as part of that, we had fairy lights and, and stuff like that. And um, I'd also had some birth affirmations um, that I'd printed off and been colouring in over the course of the previous few weeks using some of Diane's crayons which <laughs> she didn't seem to mind she was a little young to use them at the time um so I had those um up on uh, the wall next to where I wanted the birthing pool to be um so um yeah at some point uh I think it was during one of those first conversations when I said oh, I've gone into labor um they said oh, we'll arrange for the birthing pool to be um to be dropped round to you sort of when the midwives come out um and I think it was that evening um I thought things were ramping up a bit and I said oh, oh I'd really appreciate it if a midwife would come out and just sort of see how I'm doing see if you you reckon they want, might want to come and stay um but uh so they came out that evening and um yeah things weren't sort of progressed so sort of I wasn't I suppose what they call active labor I was still in still in sort of fairly early stages but I was definitely progressing well um but they yeah they arranged for the birth pool to be left and um they actually brought me a little vial of aromatherapy oils um which is sort of an optional extra that you can sort of give a donation for and they, they asked me what sort of um yeah what sort of oils I might like um I'm sort of I'm not really I've never really been a big one for sort of aromatherapy before um I don't think it's got any sort of magical properties um but I do know that I like some smells and some smells have nice associations um for me so I um picked some of my um sort of my favorite scents that they might have available um so stuff like uh frankincense um because i quite like the incense that they use at church um sort of orange oil sort of smells um what else was there lavender and then they put in a bit of clary sage as well um which apparently is a a good one for labor um 
which I'd actually yeah. read about in Anna McGann's other book, which um, yeah. she'd used uh, Clary Sage on Frankie or something during labour. So I thought that we, was another nice little connection. Yeah, I love frankincense and lavender. And um, did you use them as just to smell or did you put them in a diffuser or as an oil, like to massage? Um, so I just put, put them on uh, cotton wool pads um, and I just sort of kept them near me so I could have a sniff. Um, one of the things I was very aware of is that my mum is not a big one for having strong smells. Um, like she can't walk past Lush or the body shop without needing to cross to the other side of the street sort of thing. Um, so I wanted to kind of keep the smell personal to, to just my little space. And that was actually, yeah, a really lovely, really lovely experience. So during the early stages when I didn't want sort of gas and air or anything like that, um, I was able just to have a sniff and focus on the smell rather than sort of the feeling of the contraction or whatever. Um, and it was another little thing that sort of helped me through sort of the early stages um, when... Um, uh, the birth it wasn't sort of time to get in the birth pool yet because although I was very keen to use it um, they didn't want to obviously fill it and then have it go cold while I was sort of still progressing um, but yeah eventually at some point they I sort of said oh can you do another check and sort of see whether I'm sort of theoretically far enough along to get in to the birthing pool um, did they stay with you at that point though after they um, dropped the the birthing pool off did they leave or yeah so um things slowed down a bit at that point because it, it's not always a linear sort of progression of sort of strength and timing of contractions and stuff so things actually sort of settled down a bit again and they said you know, you're progressing well but it's not time for us to stay yet um so I think it was um at some point during the following day um when things started getting a lot stronger and longer. Um, and actually, absolutely, on the following, so the day after um, the contraction started and I had that first midwife visit, um, I think I had a midwife appointment booked anyway, so they came out to see me. Um, but I had a sweep done on that day in the afternoon um, just to try and sort of put those contractions over the edge from just well, that first stage I think to that sort of second stage of labor um to sort of, and it worked it worked pretty quickly so um, I think I had that done at about three or four in the afternoon um and by eight o'clock the midwives had come back um yeah actually that was it they came over at dinner time um because I wanted to try and carry on with some sort of normality spend time with with Diane um and stuff like that and my mum had come over at some point during that time so we all had dinner together and then the midwives um came over and because I'd given them a ring saying things are things are hotting up a bit and um, so yeah they stayed with us from that time um, and basically brought the dining table down moved it through into the kitchen set up the birthing pool ready for when it would need to be filled and I carried on laboring in the front room um yeah and then eventually was able to get into the birthing pool which I would have been really really looking forward to doing because I I love being in water um 
having a bath is is my way of relaxing it's it's my space um and i was yeah i was basically my own little heaven once i got into <laughs> into the birthing pool um and the midwives stayed in the front room on the sofa just sort of keeping an eye on me really um i had jonathan by my side i was eating biscuits that we'd prepared and having drink of, drinks of like fruit juice with ice in it and stuff like that i was yeah really just really kind of enjoying it um and then when the contractions started biting a bit more i'd like have the odd puff of gas and air and then over the course of the next few hours as things ramped up i'd start having two puffs or three puffs and um in between sort of sniffs of the aromatherapy um and yeah everything was was going really really well um my sister actually came over to um look after diane who was asleep upstairs for the vast majority of um vast majority of it so yeah i felt everything was all looked after i felt looked after i felt safe and confident and excited and yeah even when things were biting a bit i i had a way of coping and the gas and air didn't have the same effect on me that it had when i was in labor with diane um i got that sense that i heard about originally in those antenatal classes all those years ago where it, it can basically just stop you caring for a few seconds about how much it hurts um and there's no long-term effect or whatever and i was able to get into get into a rhythm with it um so yeah i felt i was doing really well um as things started potting up a bit at some point um i think around the time that i started transitioning um i knew i was transitioning and everybody else in the room knew i was um because i think john made some sort of funny comment or whatever and i kind of snapped at him for it and then sort of i think he said oh and oh, shut up and I sort of everyone yeah everyone knew that I was transitioning at that point um but then that was when yeah things I started naturally taking on this attitude of everything was more serious this wasn't the time for sort of jokes and sort of light-hearted stuff this was sort of going in I knew this was going into the final stages um and there was actually a wonderful little um moment one of my favorite points of the birth um where i was leaning over the side of the birthing pool um during one of those natural little spaces that, that, that nature allows you to have a few minutes to breathe before it comes back even stronger um and jonathan held my hands and crouched down next to me and we created this little space that was just just the two of us and the holy spirit really and we just we prayed um, and we actually we prayed in Latin together and it was just such an amazing moment because it was just us two. Nobody else probably could even hear us. If they could, they probably couldn't understand us. And it was just our little way of sort of dedicating everything that I was going through um, to God and, and sort of drawing all my strength together to, to face this, this last hour or so. Or however long it was it was going to be with sort of renewed strength um and yeah sort of carried on and things got stronger 
Um, one of the things that they needed to do was intermittent monitoring, because um, obviously I couldn't have CTG or whatever. Um, but one of the things that I'd agreed to was um, them listening into Angela's heartbeat every so often, um, just to check that she was still doing all right. Um, and because um, they had to keep reaching into the water and because of the COVID measures, um, they had to have a glove on when they were using the, uh, the Sonicade. Um, but it actually got to the point where they said, oh, do you want to see if you can pick up the heartbeat? Because obviously they were going to the same spot on my belly every time to listen to the heartbeat because she was sort of pretty fixed in position at that point. Um, and it turns out I've actually got a good knack for using a Sonicade and, and picking up a baby's heartbeat. And I could make those tiny little adjustments to get sort of the clear sound they needed. So that was that was really cool. That was that gave me a big boost of confidence because that was That's something I was able to do. Yeah. Um, so that saved a lot of gloves having to be chucked away every time they needed <laughs> to reach into the waters or between contractions. Um, there was another point during the labour um, where, sorry, this is basically just going to be a little litany of short, funny stories <laughs> during the labour. Um, but there was some point where I wanted to see um, John and my mum's faces because, of course, everybody had to mask up except me thankfully i never allowed that one to float um but i wanted to be able to to sort of see them and make a deeper connection um and at some point yeah i snapped at the two of them and said take your masks off and they looked over at the midwives and of course they they, they nodded because that was what i needed in that moment and i could just i could just be there again with 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 john and my mom um there was also another point where I was laboring and I noticed that the water level seemed to be going down in, in the pool. Um, cause everyone, like there were four people around the, the birthing pool and they were all looking at me and suddenly I'm going, hang on, why is the water level dropped like below where it says on the side of the inside of the pool where it should be. And it turned out the hose had come out of the sink in the kitchen where the pool had been filled from and the pool was um, leaking out onto the kitchen floor. <laughs> So that was quite that was quite uh -oh. <laughs> that was quite a fun moment. So um, I think I, I stood up for a, a couple of minutes, holding onto someone's hand while they put a bit more water um, back into the tub. Um, but yeah, at, at some point they we uh, I sort of they listened to Diane's heartbeat with the Sonicade and said, right, her heartbeat's actually increased a little bit. Uh, her heart heart rate has increased. Um, so we need to. Um, basically get you out the pool if it, sort of if you're okay with that um just sort of check how how things are going sort of it's part of the thing we agreed to that we've called an ambulance it'll be here in nine minutes um but hopefully we won't need it hopefully she'll be out pretty much by the time it gets here so um we actually i actually stepped out of the birthing pool and went over to the sofa um, so that they could have a good look <laughs> what was going on um, and it was that was actually one of my fav favorite moments of the birth until she was born I remember stepping out of the pool and walking across the sofa and it was almost like I was walking on air I just I could I felt everything and I was I've never felt so 
confident in myself um, and in those around me. I just, I felt absolutely wonderful in that moment. I just, I don't know whether it was the hormones or, or what, but it was just the most amazing experience. Um, and I think I remember at some point seeing the blue lights outside of the ambulance arriving. I think I saw someone through the frosted glass um, sort of standing in the hallway. Um, but I knew sort of that we were potentially moments away from, from Angela being born. Um, and they said, well, we can either put you in the ambulance and sort of see how things go, or I can give you an episiotomy and sort of let her out now because she is right there. Um, and again, part of my preparations had been knowing various, um, yeah, basically midwifery techniques, I suppose, or getting a sense of that. And I, I knew what an episiotomy entailed. I knew how sort of to care for it and what would happen and I said yep I'm perfectly happy for you to do an episiotomy um and then it was yeah just a couple more pushes a little cut and then she was in my arms and she was crying and I was crying and probably everybody else was crying but that moment it was just it was me and Angela and um sort of the midwife caught her because sort of I was semi laying on the sofa because I was just so knackered at that point it'd been like 39 hours since my contractions had begun it was one o'clock in the morning and um she handed Angela to me and I didn't actually know at that time whether um my baby was a boy or a girl because they hadn't been able to see on the scan and um so I I got to sort of I got to pick her up and, and hold her and I got to find out that Angela was a girl and we decided on names already um, whether it was a boy or whether it was a girl and um, so yeah I got to um, uh, tell my mum and I think my dad on the phone um, that Angela was a girl and that her, her name was Angela and it was just such a wonderful experience and then um, I was breastfeeding her I think while they stitched up the episiotomy um, and everything which didn't hurt nearly as much as <laughs> I thought it would. Um, they took some bloods to check the uh, um, rhesus compatibility. Um, and then the midwives dealt with the birthing pool. So with the help of, I think my mom or my husband, um, they emptied it out the water into the back garden and put the sort of, uh, took the pool, sort of packed the pool up and um, put the liner in the bin and they just, they cleared absolutely everything up while I was breastfeeding and then helped me move upstairs. And um, uh, yeah, someone else actually held Angela um, while my sister um, brushed my hair and um, put some new fluffy socks on my feet and helped me settle into bed. And um, oh, I could get a bit beautiful. of a nap before her next feed how did um, you birth the like did the placenta come out already or oh yes so what? um I had an injection I think in my leg um I can't remember what they call it syncometrin or something like that maybe um to help uh, move the placenta along which I think was because mm. I had an increased risk of um blood loss because of the um PPH that I'd had the previous time yeah um but that was that was absolutely fine 
um, it was sort of, yeah, an extra push, which I, I didn't mind because I think I already had Angela in my arms at that when, point. When Angela was birthed, were you pushing Angela out? You didn't mention if you were pushing. Yes, yes. Or was so your body I, pushing? My, um, I remember telling my midwives at some point, um, sort of, all sort of, I could, uh, when my body switched over from just sort of contracting to actively pushing. So I just sort of joined in my body's need to push um, just to try and sort of encourage things, encourage things along. Um, so mm. yeah, I, I suppose, yeah, I was, I was cooperating with, with my body's helping. <laughs> yeah. And my body's <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Can I ask you with the the D cell? Was it just one D cell? It wasn't a D cell. Sorry, with the the heart rate that was going faster. Was it just one reading, or was it a matter of a number of readings before they called the ambulance? Um, I don't know. I I was only aware of of sort of when when they sort of told me sort of her heart rate has gone up I don't know whether it was one reading or whether they'd been tracking I wasn't hadn't really been interested in the numbers or whatever I was just responding to to their advice um based on whatever notes they were they were taking or observations they were making but I at, at no point did I sort of I doubt their decision I just I trusted what they would what they were doing they they knew me they knew my situation they knew birth better than I did um and yeah so I, I didn't I didn't have an issue with sort of getting out of the pool if, if that was um what they felt was was best because yeah I, I was pretty receptive to any advice I just wanted to do the best I could given the information that I had available and that was, yeah. what was recommended I think um, the reason why I ask these questions, especially on this podcast, is because a lot of the time when women are telling their stories, they're having the C-sections because of interventions or things that they didn't understand at the time. Mm. So it's really good to hear um, the processes and what kind of happened as well um, as they go on to, you know, have their V-back, which is really good. So it's good that you had that trust and that understanding and belief in them and that you got to have your beautiful V-back home birth. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it was it was wonderful. I, I mean, the home birth team in, in Leicester are absolutely amazing, and I, I love the way that they work, and it's inspired, obviously, me to, to make this choice to, um, to go on a path that will hopefully end up with me being a registered midwife and being able to offer that that same sort of um that same sort of care to other mums um and and one of the other things that they really helped facilitate was my curiosity sort of after the, the birth so once the placenta um came out and um the the cord needed to be cut and they off um I put in my birth plan or offer it to my husband to see whether he wanted to cut the cord and for whatever reason he decided he, he sort of didn't want to but then they offered the scissors the special little scissors to me and said do you want to do it and I was really keen to um I thought I'd always be really hesitant about it because it was sort of almost in a way severing a connection between me and my baby who I'd 
got to know so well over sort of the last nine months. But once she was in my arms and once I was holding her, we had sort of that connection had sort of shifted over the course of those those last few hours um, in a way that I didn't need that very physical connection to her um, via the umbilical cord because she was now in my arms and I was holding her and she was at my breast and in a sense that sort of replaced the need for the umbilical cord and it had stopped pulsing by that point um so I got to yeah I got to cut the cord um which yeah, I was really happy about and then um obviously they, they had the placenta in the dish and I imagine they sort of they were checking that it was all there and it, it was um and they offered they said do you want to have a look at it and I was like yeah I really want to see it because I'd only ever seen pictures I'd obviously never had the opportunity to see um see Diane's placenta um and I it was just it was absolutely beautiful and sort of I, I rejoiced in the fact that this had been the closest sort of connection that Angela and I had had or we'd been sharing blood through this beautiful organ that would was was going to be I suppose thrown away or burnt or whatever but sort of I was able sort of yeah to rejoice in in it having fulfilled its role and, and brought my baby safe into my arms um so I, I my only regret is I didn't get a picture of it which might seem a bit weird to other people but it was it was just yeah it was a joy to be able to to see it um yeah oh, that's lovely Oh, that's that's great. So um, we'll wrap up now, but I would love to hear just before you do go, just one line or any advice that you would give anybody who's planning a future VBAC home birth, if you've got some advice or a quote or something you would love to share with the audience. Um, I think what I would really say is do your best to surround yourself with people who support your choices who um sort of are on the same page as you so for me i i had the joy of that being my mom and my husband my birth partners um the online communities that i was part of so various sort of home birth and vbac groups obviously including your one ashley um but also um having supportive midwives um, and yeah, having having other people sort of praying for success and wishing me well, um, because sort of you share you share stories and you learn from other people's experiences, and you can sort of just yeah rejoice with each other um, because it is such a wonderful a wonderful experience. Mm, so important to have a circle of support and have people, like you said, either praying for you or um, being part of you, setting an intention to supporting you. I had that, um, especially with my, I had like a little ceremony, a um, blessing way, and we had candles set up from my friends who had come. And while it wasn't, they weren't setting prayers, it's essentially the same thing. And so to be able to carry that through your birth and know that you're surrounded even in spirit yeah, um, and feeling safe is just, you know, one of the most important and special things. So I'm glad that you got that. And thank you very much for sharing your story with us today. 
That's all right. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast. I hope that this episode has helped you take another step to finding your voice and confidence in your VBAC home birth journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to rate and review. Each review helps us to help more women to find out more about VBAC home birth, just like you. Don't forget to take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories and tag me at the motherhood circle. I'll see you next time.